point in my life when I said, I can no longer ignore my heart. I said, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Um, you know, because life happens. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where each episode we share the stories of individuals that are living out their bucket slash life goal list. I am your host, Roger Williams, and through hearing our guests' adventures, my goal is that you will find encouragement and empowerment to add and cross items off of your list. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am so excited. Our guest today is Helen Hosley, and she is an author, adventurer, downhill skier, and formal, former National Park Ranger. Helen, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome, Roger. Thank you for having me. It's, I'm excited to talk with you. Awesome. I'm, I think that my listeners are going to be excited to hear your story. So tell us, what was the thing that you crossed off your list? What I crossed off my list was zigzagging, skiing, zigzagging down the Rocky Mountains from Banff, Canada to Taos, New Mexico. Well, okay. <laughs> so when did, uh, let's just go into some detail. When did this happen? When did you take this trip? Uh, I took this trip in the late fall of 1989 through the spring of 1990. Okay. A few years ago. (laughs) A few years ago. So um, were you, did you live in that area or how did you? No, I'm from the Adirondacks of New York and I had relatives that lived in Colorado Springs. And when I was eight years old, I took a trip with my great aunt and I saw these big, beautiful mountains and they just made this impression on me. And I said, I just need to, and I never ever skied in my life. I was eight years old. So I, I I didn't grow up skiing, but I taught myself how to ski as an adult. And so I said, I want to ski every area that I've ever read about or dreamed about in the Rocky mountains. And, um, and I did. So seven month long, did you do this by yourself or were you with somebody No, else? I met up with, uh, I was introduced to another woman. Her name is Ginger and through a mutual friend of ours. And, um, and so when I met Ginger in the spring of 1989, I said, Hey, I was thinking of taking this trip and I don't, I can go by myself, but it would be nice to have company. Sure. And she said, sure. So we, we weren't in any career jobs. I was a waitress at a very fine French restaurant in Washington, D.C. at the time. And she was, um, I think she was an aerobics instructor or something. And so we said, okay, let's plan to save our money and we'll go the, we'll start um, out in, in the fall of this year in time for the uh, ski season. And uh, yeah, so we, we started in, I picked her up in Highland Falls, New York, and we started heading west and stayed with friends mostly along the way. Wow. We were just saying, we're just going out. We're going to do the skiing thing. So, so you had taught yourself how to ski. And as a little girl, did you were you, the trip that you took to Colorado? Was that a driving trip or was that, did you fly? I in? flew. It was my first wow. time ever okay. in an airplane. Yeah. All right. So I, I remember the first time I saw the Rockies out of a car window and I was just, because it kind of just, pops up at you and they're they're like there and it's just like wow those are very majestic so why so you're living on the east coast there's there's decent skiing on the east coast why why did you pick the rockies um i don't know i think it was more of a fantasy of you know of a life that 
you know, and the allure of out West, you know, go West young person or young man, really, (laughs) but I'm thinking of the young West. And, you know, and yeah, we had some fantastic ski areas. I mean, I grew up near Lake Placid, so I learned to ski on that mountain. You know, right. So the Olympic, Olympic mountain and a lot of great areas in Vermont as well. Um, but I thought it would be fun and interesting and different than the East. Sure. And the few times that I went skiing in college, so this was after I was out of college, but when I went, when I was in college, I did do a few trips to the West and the skiing is just magnificent. And, yeah. and so you said you said you started up in Vancouver. We actually we started um, interestingly enough when we were heading across country. We said okay, we we started in a little on a little hill in Wisconsin, and I can't even <laughs> tell you the name of it because we said okay, if we're going to ski, we got to get our legs underneath us. And then our first mountain, Rocky Mountain, was in Red Lodge, Montana, at okay. the mountain. So it's you know just east of I think. Um, Yellowstone okay and then um Ginger had a friend out of from the army and he ran an overnight cross-country ski expedition in Yellowstone National Park his name is Arden and we um we stayed with Arden and Arden uh needed help with uh he had a group of 12 people that came in and at the time he um he still runs Yellowstone expeditions by the way that does overnight cross-country skiing in Yellowstone he was having that over Christmas break. There were people coming in, but in the meantime, Ginger and I skied Big Sky. We went up, all the way up to Canada into Calgary, okay. and um, and I read about Banff, and I said, "Oh my gosh, I just have to ski in Banff." So we stayed <laughs> at youth hostels, at a, at a youth okay. hostel there, and we downhill skied and uh, in, in Banff. I don't remember the mountain, but it was magnificent. And we also went cross country skiing about. I think it was 40 kilometers north of Banff at a little place called Mosquito Creek. And uh, it was isolated. It was a cabin. It had no running water and it had a wood heated sauna. And we'd go to the brook and break the ice and get the water for our morning coffee and food. And we picked up a, a young woman. Her name is Wendy. She was traveling around the world by herself. She was from Australia. So we adopted her for about a month to have her come into back into the states with us and continue skiing and you know it was great i don't know so, how we fit her in my car but we did so i'm really interested and we were talking about this earlier before before we started recording i'm so interested in how you accomplished this goal from a standpoint that there was no google there was no <laughs> travelocity there was no booking.com so right. how so how did you plan the trip how did was it just like we're just going and whatever happens or how did how did that all work as far as you know even having roadmaps I guess you know yeah well we did we had roadmaps and and well from March of 1989 through November when I picked Ginger up we would call on a weekly basis and we'd say okay first we check in to make sure that we were making enough money because we had this idea that we'd had to have x number of dollars because we weren't going to be working and so we would check in on that and saying, oh, yep, I'm on track with savings. Okay. And then, okay, what areas that you want to, where do you want to ski? So we, we kind of meshed together our, our list, okay. if you will. And then we started mapping out, okay, who do we know across country that we could stay with? And it turned out that between the two of us, 
we um, had friends all the way across the country until we got to Red Lodge, Montana. And we, we took the northern route. We went up, um, went through Buffalo, stayed with a friend there, went through Kentucky, stayed with a friend there, Indianapolis, and we went up to Chicago. We did stay at a youth hostel in Chicago. We didn't know anybody in Chicago, but we knew somebody in Wisconsin. And then we knew someone in St. Paul, Minneapolis. And then we got to Red Lodge and we stayed in a, I don't know, a hotel that was similar to a, a youth hostel. And um, and then we, once we skied at, at the big mountain in Red Lodge, we hopped over to Yellowstone and that's where we stayed with Arden for a number. I stayed with him for, I think a couple of weeks at least okay. in Yellowstone and helped him with his, um, Ginger flew to Washington state to be with her boyfriend. And, and then I stayed with Arden and I helped with it. I was in Yellowstone with 12 other people by ourselves for a week in Yellowstone Park. It was incredible. So uh, across the seven months, how many different ski uh, resorts did you ski at or how many mountains did you ski on? Oh my gosh, let's see. Uh, Banff and we went up to um, when we I came back down met Ginger again in Yellowstone we went up to uh, Red Lodge my, uh, not Red Lodge we went up to um, oh my gosh the name is it's on the western part of Glacier National Park that's another place okay. where we did some cross-country skiing and um, I'll think of the name in a minute but so I think probably oh I don't know 14 or 15 perhaps over the I course think. of seven months that's still yeah, a lot over the yeah. seven months <clears throat> that's still a lot what was your uh, what was your favorite mountain to ski with during this trip oh my gosh um uh the one in montana that i can't think of the name of right now <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh um boy that, that you know it's interesting how your mind doesn't you know that thinks of things uh and taos new mexico was really quite fun because it was spring skiing you know we had our t-shirts on and you know the weather was just perfect and they had you know so that in Durango believe it or not Durango was a very fun place to uh to ski as well the town itself you know it's the old western town feel and Mm um yeah the other place that I was surprised that I wasn't all that excited about on, you know, on the converse side was um, in Utah, although it was beautiful skiing. Right. It was, um, I, I wasn't, it was like, okay, it was just another mountain, but some of the other mountain towns that are not so commercialized was what I enjoyed the most. Yeah, especially back in the 80s, probably not as developed as they would be today. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. true. What's the, what was the hardest thing about the trip in general not just like skiing or something but like what actually like taking the trip what was like the hardest thing that you had to figure out or accomplish while you were doing this I think the hardest thing was um not spending all of our money at once (laughs) (laughs) budgeting our money to make sure that it would it would last you know through the trip and um and you know, it's interesting because Ginger and I didn't know each other. We right. were introduced by a mutual friend, as I said, and, and um, you know, so there, there was the risk there of here you're going to commit to be traveling for at least, you know, the winter season with someone you barely ever knew. And, right. and um, I thought that would be hard, but it, I, we were so well matched. It, mm-hmm. And, you know, Ginger and I have been 
you know, buddies and friend, you know, best friends, even now, I mean, we have, you know, children the same age and I'm going to go to a daughter's wedding in June, you know, so nice. I have a lifelong friend with Ginger. Um, yeah, there... so budgeting the money and then, um, and find and picking the places that we really wanted to ski. That was kind of a tough decision because we, you know, you only have a finite period of time right. and then you also have to deal with the weather. It's like, can you get to the place where you want to ski? <laughs> Yeah, and there's, there's still going to be snow or, or decent snow to ski on for sure. Was there something that you and Ginger did, Helen, like in the car or while you were together that kind of helped solidify those bonds? Or was it just natural or, you know, did you play some kind of games or what were those first couple of days like as you were getting to know each other? Yeah, um, well, one of the things I remember about Ginger is that she brought her knitting with her, you know, <laughs> and, and the only other person I knew that knitted was my mother and then older women in the community that I grew up in. So to have a young person knit and she was knitting a sweater. It wasn't like she was just knitting a scarf, oh, yeah. she was knitting a sweater for her brother. And um, so I would ask her questions about knitting, but we, you know, we talked about each other's lives the first few days and and staying with friends and family members across the country helped because you got to see different pieces of each other from their perspective interesting yeah and and that that really helped that's that's yeah that's really interesting um i recently did the camino de santiago which is a 790 kilometer trek across spain and um, I have lots of friends that I got to know during that trip. And now I'm taking this trip through Europe and re-seeing a lot of people. And it's so interesting just, you know, being in real clothes, <laughs> not, not your hiking clothes or, or stinky, you know, just smelling because you walked 50 miles that day. It's very yeah. interesting to see people in that real world context um, outside of uh, the Camino. So I, I get that a little bit. What was like one of the major stories, like the, the fun stories, the, the, something that like happened along the trip that you're like, oh my gosh, I, I tell this story all the time because it's so good. What, what's that one story? Uh, once it got too warm for us to ski, we um, kept the skis on top of the car and we started hiking in the national parks out west. Mm. Okay. And um, so the, the trip was always planned to, for me to drop Ginger in LA because she was having, she had a job waiting for her. She was, and she had a college friend, they had a job lined up. I didn't have a job. I was not, I didn't know what I was going to do after that. But when we, um, it was right outside of Taos, it was a state park that we were hiking in. And we, when we got to the trailhead, there was a park, a state park ranger that said, you know, you just want to be careful. We saw some, um, um, evidence of cougars in the area so you know just be mindful they usually don't bother you but be careful and we said okay thank you and so we hiked in along to along this riverbed and we were we were intending on sleep spending the night which we did so we pitched a tent and had dinner of our famous uh tuna, tuna noodle casseroles that we always <laughs> cat food no I, oh, my mother's like, oh, never, never. But it was so delicious after, you know, hiking yes. 10 miles that day, yes. right? So yeah, I imagine. And it's easy to cook. Um, and so throughout the night, though, I heard some wrestling outside of the tent. And I was too chicken to actually <laughs> go out and see what that possibly could be. 
And then the next morning after, at during breakfast, I said, Ginger, did you hear about all that noise outside the tent? She says, yes. And I didn't want to, you know, wake you up, but I was hopeful that if it was a cougar, that it eat you first. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good friend right there. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks, Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody else wanted to do this today, and said and came to you and said hey Helen I heard your story what's like the one thing you would you would let them know what was the one thing you would say oh you've got to do this or make sure that you're prepared for x y or z what what would that thing be I, I appreciate you asking that question as as I look at you know this was well over 30 years ago right that I did yeah. this trek and travel is completely different today um, because you have you know, your handheld computer that can right. bring you anywhere. And I'd say if you're going to do this trip, um, don't stick too much to a schedule. Mm. You know, trust your gut feeling and your intuition and let that lead you to where your next spot is going to be. Because it's usually always it, it is always right on and there's something serendipitous that happens out of out of that that you never really planned so, so let me ask you this even in today's standards doing a trip like this there would there would be some could be some hesitation for a young woman mm. to, to do this on her own or or even with another friend what was it about you and ginger what are the characteristics that you have that you had back then in the 80s right mm -hmm. to that that made it possible for you to, to have the courage to do this kind of trip and, and be this adventurous back then what, what was that what was in you that said okay let's go for it it got i i was at a point in my life i i worked for i, I managed restaurants for Marriott Corporation. I had a degree in resort management and I got really tired of working 80 hour work weeks. And it was at a point in my life when I said, I can no longer ignore my heart. Mm. I said, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Um, you know, because life happens, right? And you, sure. you get into things. And I think that along with a little bit of um, being naive about the world as well. Was explain that a little advantage. bit explain that a little bit <laughs> well you know one of the we stayed with um i think it was in indianapolis and we stayed with ginger's brother and sister-in-law and this, we were out to dinner and the sister-in-law says well do you have a gun <laughs> <laughs> like no why would we even think of carrying a gun it never occurred to us that there could be any type of danger out there right right and whereas I think today we're so bombarded with what's dangerous that we don't trust that there's more good in the world. And there is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I was in Thailand with some people traveling and we were in our hotel. We got in really late and we were looking out the balcony and down the street and just all these people were like funneling into these side alleys 
And one of my friends like, let's go down there and see what's going on. And we're like, okay. And it's not like, you know, there was anything like threatening about what we were doing or, or where we were at, but it was just like, you kind of knew, yeah, we probably shouldn't be here, but <laughs> we'll be okay. And it's, it is that, na- that naivete that you just, you know, you just go out and do. And, and, and if you, like you said earlier, the universe provides in some ways and you just have to be willing to be open and accept that. So what was the one thing after you were done with the trip, like what, what was the one um, mindset that you walked away with uh, after doing that? How did it, how did it impact your worldview and, and where you were going in life? You know, I mentioned earlier that I didn't have a job waiting for mm-hmm. me at like Ginger did. But when we, I was in Yellowstone in January of 1990 and Arden uh, not only had his own cross-country ski expedition in the winter he was a national park ranger he was a geologist by training Mm. and so he would apply every year to be and and I knew very little I mean nothing Yellowstone was my first national park you know I heard of you know the Grand Canyon but you know I'm an east coast person you don't really hear a lot about national parks and especially even in the Adirondack Park you know you think that's the you know that's a park and um, so Arden said, here, I have an ac- extra application. Why don't you fill it out? This was in January. And I said, well, okay, I don't have anything else to do. It was a 10-page application. No, it's wow. not online, obviously. <laughs> right. 10-page application. And, you know, the application was not only, you know, all your who are you, date of birth, that type of thing, but they, they had questions. And the questions range from how well you operate a chainsaw to how well you work with the public and, you know, what makes you qualified to be a ranger. And on a scale of one to five, anything over a three, you had to substantiate with either education or work experience. Okay. And so I filled it out, you know, took me, I don't know, an hour or so to fill out this application, sent it in, didn't think anything of it. And it's like, okay. And then you only could pick two parks too, to, to say, if oh, you were wow. selected, you know, where would you like to work? And, and I said, Arden, I said, nah. I don't know what park should I put down? And, and he says, well, you know, everybody always wants to work in the big ones. They want to work in Yosemite and Yellowstone and Grand mm-hmm. Canyon and up at, you know, Denali. Um, so I said, all right, well, I don't know, Glen Canyon, that sounds kind of interesting. And then I, I also put down Sequoia Kings Canyon, one in California and one in Northern Arizona. And he says, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty good. The desert's a neat place to be. It'd be kind of hot in the summer, blah, blah, blah. Didn't think anything of it. And April rolls around and I call home, right? And find uh-huh. a payphone because there's no, no cell phones. What's a, what's a payphone again? What's a payphone again, right? And I, I was just calling in to check in with my parents and saying, oh, this is where we are now. And I, I think I was in New Mexico. And and my mother says, oh, there's this man. His name is Dan Hand. And he wants to give you a job. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm skiing. What do you mean he wants to give me a job? And I completely forgot about this. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently my the scoring system, however they worked it at the at Office of Personnel Management, my application rose to the top. And I called Dan the next day. Um, I said, Oh, I understand you trying to reach me. And he says, Yes, I want to, I want to offer you a job as a national park ranger. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about this. <laughs> My only other experience is not only Yellowstone, but then at this time we visited Mesa Verde and I saw a couple of rangers and, and there was a woman ranger actually at Mesa Verde. I thought that was interesting. 
And um, so he told me, he says, well, you'd be working mostly at the visitor center and it's mostly telling people about where to find the bathroom or how far it is from one point to another sure. or the Grand Canyon or whatever. He says, but you will be doing campfire programs as well. So you're an interpretive ranger. I said, okay, I have, I have uh, two questions. He said, okay. So the first one is, do I have to deal with anything about food or restaurants? <laughs> I was so over being in restaurants. He says, no, no, not at all. I said, okay, great. I said, well, the, here's, this is the deal breaker question. And he said, okay, what is that? I said, well, do I get to wear one of those neat hats? There you go. <laughs> and he said, you absolutely do. You get to own one. Nice. And, um, then you, that's actually the title of my book as well. Do I get to wear that neat hat? Do you still have and, the hat? Oh yeah, I have two of them. I have a summer and a winter hat. <laughs> and um, so that would begin my career as a park service, as a park ranger, a national park ranger. And I did, and you asked me what was the most important thing that I took away from is um, not only being out in nature and skiing and experiencing it um, at the level I did, but then being a ranger and, and taking the oath to preserve and protect for future generations. I, I took away the sacredness of our world and the environment. Mm. And, um, and also being a park ranger led me to Washington, D.C., where I met my husband. He came to be a ranger Nice on the mall. And so we've been married 30 years and we have two children. And so we have four hats. <laughs> you have four hats. <laughs> and I'm sure that the, the one day you'll have grandchildren and they'll want to wear those hats they want to wear those hats yeah that's right right now they decorate my wall (laughs) so Helen tell me what's the next thing on your list that you would like to cross off next thing on my list is to do something similar but in Europe not necessarily ski my my uh I think my downhill skiing days are over I still cross-country ski um uh but I would like to really um experience the, the world in Europe that's and, on my list and just you don't have any exact plans you just you just know that you want to take some time and and live inside europe yeah yeah awesome. and 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 plan it with ginger because we still we have we still oh, have nice time. that's yeah. awesome that's yeah. awesome well i thank you so much for sharing your story i it, i know it's going to inspire people and i think that's awesome um can you let us know right now like where people can find you on the internet or or more information especially about your book Yes, um, I have uh, a website called HelenHosley.com, and it's uh, H-E-L-E-N-H-O-S-S-L-E-Y.com, and it's uh, the story of where you can buy my book and see a little bit more about my story, and I'm also on Facebook uh, and LinkedIn as well under my name. We will put all those uh, links in the show notes so that people can get to them um, really easily. Helen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you uh, telling your story and the bravery that it took for you and Ginger to go out and uh, make this trip happen, I think is, is awesome. And I hope you Well, get- you're welcome, Roger. It's really been a pleasure going down memory lane with you. As a reminder to our listeners, in this episode's show notes, you will find links to learn more about this week's guests and information on how you can cross this item off of your list. You can follow my adventures of crossing items off my bucket list on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, new episodes of this podcast are available to stream every Friday morning. We will meet you here next week. And until then, keep living out your list.